Twitter, its shareholders and employees are in the one place you never want to be, limbo. Motley Fool Money starts now. I'm Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool senior analyst Jason Moser. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Unless you're a Twitter shareholder. Well, or employee. I got to believe if you're an employee, it's probably worse than being a shareholder. We'll get to all of that. Um, let me just pull back the curtain a, a minute because this is uh, this has only happened, I believe, three times in the twelve plus years uh, we've been doing the weekly Motley Fool Money Radio Show. And what I'm referring to is we record the show midday on Friday, and then late in the day there is breaking business news that is so big we think, boy. If 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 this had broken just a few hours earlier, this would have this might have led the show. This would have been in the first segment of the show, and for only to my memory, only the third time in twelve plus years that happened this past Friday because we recorded the show, and then around five o'clock the news broke that Elon Musk is walking away from his deal to buy Twitter. He alleges that Twitter underreported the number of bots on the platform. This whole situation now moves to a court in Delaware where place your bets people on what the outcome is going to be um, Musk could be forced to pay the one billion dollar breakup fee it's theoretically possible both sides just walk away he could be forced to do the deal which seems like a, a, a not great situation to force someone to buy a company. Um, this is going to be messy, Jason, and shares of Twitter are close to their lowest point in more than four years. Yeah, I mean, you're right, it is going to be messy. Um, I think this is ultimately, I feel like this is intentional on his part. I mean, I feel like he's he's sort of playing them, so to speak. I think he's essentially pushing this to get as much information as possible uh, from the company and potentially. Um, possibly a lower price along with it. I mean, it's a gamble. I think he was more or less baiting them, and he wanted this to go to court because he wasn't, at least as he sees it, he wasn't getting satisfactory information. Um, and, and, and I mean, that's going to be something ultimately for the courts to decide, right? He feels like uh, Twitter, the company, has not acted in good faith. They've not provided uh, the information that he. Asked for when when the deal was first inked, um, they feel otherwise, and so then you get this to the court where ultimately, and, and I think you know he, he he tweeted this out earlier today. I mean, you take this to court, and ultimately that's where this information is going to have to come to light, right? I mean, I think at the end of the day, regardless when this goes to court, he's going to get the information he's been looking for, and that's going to result in. Potentially, him just going ahead and making this acquisition on the terms that were originally agreed to, or if you know, if it turns out that that information that they were giving him in regard to the bots in specific, I mean, if it turns out that they were they were not being forthright or not giving you know the complete picture, um, maybe it results in not only getting that information but also then getting a lower price. I mean, you look at it 
today. I mean, I think, I mean, it, 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 Twitter shares are they're down something like f- close to forty percent from the original agreed upon price. So, I mean, that's significant. I can understand him wanting <laughs> wanting to get a better price. Um, whether that actually happens or not remains to be seen. But it, this, to me, feels very much intentional on his part. I mean, it feels kind of like he's viewing this as as sort of a a chess match, and this was his latest move. You mentioned the employees at Twitter, and this is something... You and I were talking about this uh, earlier today. This is one of those things that um, I I don't think we... I'll just speak for myself. I don't think about this as quickly as I think about um, what happens when a company announces layoffs. Because I, I think we do a pretty good job on this show of anytime we're talking about a company that has announced layoffs, we talk about what it means for the business and we acknowledge that for the people who are being laid off, eh, that just sucks. You know, yeah. you know, in 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 a lot of cases, there are people who are who are doing a good job going about their business and and maybe through no fault of their own, they're they're being let go. Um, I don't think as much about the companies where um, the status of the business is in limbo. And this is kind of an extreme situation with Twitter, um, but it does happen more frequently just with acquisitions in general. Think about something like Activision Blizzard, which is, you know, at the beginning of the year, Microsoft says we're going to buy them, and the deal is going to take about eighteen months to close. Yeah. And if you work at Activision Blizzard, you're like, okay, it's so in in eleven months we're going to find out whether or not we're bought. Um, in some cases, it's a business where uh, the acquisition is happening, but the the acquiring company has come out and said right off the bat, we might be selling off parts of this. Um, I don't know. It 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 has me thinking, Jason, that it might be a worthwhile exercise to just look at my portfolio and look at each company and think, wait. Is this is this company in any way in limbo? Because when we talk about like the culture at a company and is this a good place to work and are employees motivated? That's so much harder to do. As you indicated right at the top, it's so much harder to do when you're in a situation like the employees at Twitter. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would go even probably a step further and say it is downright impossible to do. I mean, there, there is a level of uncertainty that's been lobbed into, uh, in, into Twitter, the company, that, I mean, I mean, there's certain employees, right, executive level employees, that they're going to be fine regardless, right? I mean, no matter what happens, I mean, they're, they're financially relatively secure. But, but I mean, for, for most of the workforce, that just isn't the case. Um, and and I, I think you're right. I mean, the day-to-day uncertainty with just wondering. I mean, not only am I going to have a job, but I mean, even if I do, is this going to be a company where I want to work? I mean, there are a lot of a lot of folks who are concerned that really maybe what Musk wants to do with Twitter isn't really in line with the company that they that they came on board with. I mean, obviously things change in the business world and companies grow and they evolve. But but generally speaking, I mean, yeah, it it does feel like the employees are really getting stuck in a in just an untenable situation here. I certainly understand why many are updating LinkedIn profiles, and I feel like. 
it's 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 more than reasonable to to start looking around because you just don't know what's going to happen for someone who is relying on that job not maybe necessarily living paycheck to paycheck but but you know listen they need the job like most of us need the job right that it's it's our it's our source of of, of financial security to to an extent and and they don't get to go to work every day with that general feeling of security, knowing that where they work is really looking out for them, because so much is now completely out of out of the company's control. I mean, Twitter historically has been fairly mismanaged. I think you can make that argument pretty well, um, and this really just seems to be sort of another notch in that belt, so to speak. So it's it's. Very understandable the frustration that that is building there among the workforce. It seems like it's darn near impossible to build any kind of a culture, um, and and culture is, is going to be defined differently by by everyone, I assume. But but at the end of the day, it, it generally results in a place where people want to be and, and and where people are proud to work. And I'm sure that is is not the feeling among most employees there today. And that's going to play out of the business performance. There's no question there. Right. I mean, that's going to play out of the business performance. Last question before we move on. Let's say the deal falls apart one way or another, whether Musk pays the breakup fee or not, and Twitter is left on its own again. I believe it was six years ago that Salesforce was taking a long, hard look at buying Twitter. What odds would you place on? Mark Benioff and his team coming in and saying, "We're not going to pay fifty-four dollars a share, but we'll pay forty. <laughs> um, I I would venture that is probably slim to none. It feels like the story at Twitter has done nothing but get worse as time has gone on. I mean, that kind of goes back to to the platform being mismanaged. I mean, the the guidelines, the community guidelines and rules of Always seem to be somewhat arbitrarily enforced, and it just it, it seems to have gotten nothing but messier as time has gone on. And and again, I mean, it, that just kind of goes back to, I mean, it, it's very difficult to 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 build and grow a company when there's no real consistent vision and consistent management, right? And Twitter has just never benefited from that consistency of vision. Um, it felt like it felt like for a time that was coming back with Dorsey at the helm. Clearly, he's not there anymore. I, I really do believe. I mean, I think I think that Dorsey's onto something when he says that really, the first step is to take this company back from Wall Street. I think that Twitter is better off as a private company or you know part of a bigger entity, right? Where it is out of out of the spotlight because it it just cannot go on the way it is today. It doesn't feel like it. It feels like at this point. Very difficult to put put the toothpaste back in the tube, right? No matter who steps into that into that executive office, the 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 hurdles, right? The 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 task at hand, I think, is just it's it's as Michael Michael Scott would say, insurmountable. <laughs> at the end of this week, earnings season is going to kick off with the big banks reporting. Uh, when you think about earnings season, what is a company that you're particularly curious to see report? Well, I you know I don't know that I'm gonna pan out here a little bit. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna <laughs> po- I'm not gonna point one specific company because I feel like there's so much going on. Um, it, it's difficult to just focus on one individual company. It it, it really does feel like um, looking at where the market is today. Right, if you look at the market year to date, the S and P is down around 19 percent. 
Uh, NASDAQ is down around 27%. Now, if you look at those numbers since the last earnings season, the S&P is down 12% and the Nasdaq is down 15%. And so I think really for me we've just you know last earnings season was a very difficult one. It felt like no matter what company reported, no matter what they reported, um, the market just wasn't having any of it. And I mean if I if I'm going to pick one company it, it does feel like Amazon is going to be an interesting one to watch just because uh, it it ties so much to not only consumer behavior, but also the tech world through Amazon Web Services. Um, you get a better idea, I think, just on, on how the consumer is feeling right now. I mean, Amazon came off of a couple of years of phenomenal growth right, in, in, in the retail side of the business, and that more or less has, has hit, a, hit a wall here. And I really, I wonder if that is something we can expect for the rest of the year, right? They've got Prime Day coming up in uh, the third quarter of the year, and so we we obviously won't get uh, that that for another another couple of quarters, really. But ultimately, I mean, we we've talked about this before. They really they really built out capacity. Um, over overbuilt that capacity over the past over the past couple of years. It was for understandable reasons, but now they're really trying to figure out exactly how how to how to deal with that. Right? It's it's impacting uh, their their earnings uh, to to the extent where they they don't really have a lot of control over it. So it, there's going to be some time that needs to lapse um, in order for that to really start playing back in their favor. Right? I think the capacity will ultimately play back in their favor, but it, they need a little bit of time uh, to get back to where the consumer is. Feeling a little bit, uh, a little bit more willing to spend, and maybe that's something that that starts in the third quarter with Prime Day and sort of accelerates as we go into the holiday season. It'll be interesting to see how how management uh, is is looking at the back half of the year because it does feel like those signals will tell us a lot about a lot of a lot of the rest of the, of the retail segment. But we know that Amazon Web Services continues to be uh, really the rock star of the business, and, and I don't think that um, I, I don't see any reason why that shouldn't continue. Jason Moser, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Speaking of Twitter employees updating their resumes, up next, we've got a look at the job market with one of the companies leading its evolution. Matt Colby is the Vice President of Investor Relations for Indeed, a popular job search engine. Motley Fool contributor Rachel Warren caught up with Colby to talk about the top trends driving today's labor market and the implications for one lesser-known tech giant. I think what's been happening and the dynamics of the job market are something that's top of mind, you know, for a lot of job seekers as well as companies. You know, uh, movements like the Great Resignation have impacted companies across a wide range of industries. Um, you know, so jumping off of that a little bit, what are some of the most prominent trends that you're seeing from your vantage point in the U.S. job market right now? And and beyond that, how is it impacting Indeed's performance? So. We're a global tech company serving more than 250 million people uh, across each uh, across Indeed each month, and so we're seeing three uh, main trends in the labor force. So we're seeing number one, it's an aging workforce problem. So baby boomers are aging and retiring every year, and the average age is well, actually 25% of the labor force is greater than 55. So again, aging workforce, 
becomes is becoming a problem. Uh, net immigration declining each year is something else that we've seen. So since 2015, we've seen declining immigration. There was a surplus in the U.S. of more than 1 million immigrants back in 2015. And the most recent year, that surplus was only 270,000. So obviously the pandemic has significantly impacted that. But across most developed countries, we're seeing immigration uh, declining. And then lastly, um, and this is probably a product of the pandemic, is changing work, uh, changing attitudes towards work-life balance. So this is really, especially among the younger generation, we're seeing less demand for certain types of jobs and greater demand for flexibility. And on Indeed, we've seen three times the number of job postings are including remote options or flexible options. And um, job seekers, when they're searching, are searching five times more than they did before the pandemic for remote and flexible jobs. So that's clearly a trend of flexibility that, that seems to be here to stay. And what does it mean for our performance? Well, it means there's a lot of changing, a lot of job turnover. You continue to see uh, the overall quits rate uh, from, the, from the labor stats uh, remains very, very high. Um, and tight, la tight labor markets are, are continuing to, to exist. So what it means is the increasing need for our solutions and our products that make, make it easier and make it simpler for employers to find candidates and for people to find jobs. And we saw this past year, revenue grew 92% in what we call our HR tech segment um, off a base of $3.5 billion of revenue. So we almost doubled revenue in the last year. And we saw our EBITDA, which is our profitability, grow from $600 million to $2.6 billion. So we've seen tremendous growth, but most of that came from volume. So the number of jobs dramatically, the number of sponsored jobs dramatically increased, and the number of employers advertising on Indeed increased as well. And we expect these trends to continue to persist. And this next year, we expect to grow about 10 to 20% our revenue growth is what we've guided for. You know, we look at how much uh, the labor market has changed, and you mentioned some of these key trends that are driving hiring practices right now. If you look back, you know, over the last five years, say, to now, what do you think are some of the key factors that have changed the most, um, you know, in the recruiting and hiring sector, and then specifically for Indeed? In the past five years, we've, we've made significant progress towards this idea of making it, it as easy as possible to find a job by pushing a button. And really our, like our strategy is not changing, and, but it's really just been accelerated. And we have this relentless focus on this mission to help job seekers. And what we're doing is we're moving beyond just finding candidates to what we say is getting closer to the hire. And we're focused on delivering qualified candidates. And to do this, we need to understand job seekers better. So we need to understand the preference, um, not just looking at a resume, but understanding, well, do, do they want to commute or do they not want to commute? How long do they want it? How close to their home do they want to work? What type of work environment do they want to want to be working in? And the more we know about job seekers, the better we can match them to the perfect job. And we really, Indeed is built for everyone. Really, we want to have all people find jobs across all types of employment. So full-time, part-time, temporary, temporary work at all levels and at all wage levels as well. And we've made significant progress based on what we can measure. So we've seen 
before the pandemic, 10 hires per minute on our platform. This was in the, the first kept quarter of the calendar year in 2019. And this last quarter, it's doubled to 20 hires per minute on our platform uh, that we can measure. So we know we're making progress. We have a lot of work to do, but it still takes 15 weeks to find a job on Indeed and in general. And we're focused on shortening this time in half by 2030. We've actually made a commitment to do that. Well, you know, as we mentioned, Indeed is part of the global tech company Recruit, which, uh, you know, just reported strong earnings results, as you mentioned, uh, thanks to very strong revenue growth in HR tech, which is made up mostly of Indeed. So maybe, you know, walk me through a bit uh, Indeed's performance this past quarter. What's, What's driving the company's growth and how is that impacting its parent company Recruit? Indeed is part of this this large Japanese company, Recruit Holdings. Recruit is a 62-year-old company with a $55 billion market cap, as you said, and one of the top 10 largest companies in Japan, and actually one of the 300 largest companies in the world. And Recruit's revenue is $25.5 billion in the last fiscal year, has 46,000 employees, and, and that revenue grew 25%, uh, 26% actually year over year. Um, it's actually one of the largest tech companies in the world that people haven't, many haven't heard of. And so indeed it was acquired by recruit in 2012. And again, most people don't, don't know that. Um, but with it, with indeed and Glassdoor, which is our sister company, which was also acquired by recruit, we have what we call this HR tech segment. And this creates this two-sided talent marketplace that has really been a big driver of growth for recruit holdings overall and a driver of recruits overall profitability and recruit has a a strategic pillar called simplify hiring this is it is what it what it's called um just making it easy um and indeed and glassdoor are really at the center of that strategy and um 85 percent of recruits revenue is hr related businesses so it is the most important strategic pillar for recruit holdings and Again, the HR tech segment did about $7.5 billion of revenue, up 92% year over year, with margins that expanded to 34%. And even this next year, we we got it to EBITDA margins to be around 30%. Um, But in terms of overall revenue growth, HR tech has contributed uh, more than 70% of the revenue growth for recruit in the last fiscal year, and more than 60% of recruits overall EBITDA. So... Clearly, this is a, a very important business for recruit, and, and it's a driver for the growth for the future. Moving forward, what do you think are some of the most prominent catalysts for growth that you expect will be driving the direction of Indeed's business? So, so we are in the HR business, and HR is a is a cyclical business. But we think again, there's a huge opportunity to go from where we are today in this slow, painful process of hiring and finding a job to this nirvana of pushing a button and finding that perfect job. And we think technology will definitely be a catalyst. And we think AI and and automation are going to help make that a reality. Um, The pandemic has been a catalyst for adoption or accelerating the adoption of these, these new hiring tools and the appetite to transform the way people hire, um, like video or virtual interviewing processes. And um, 
majority of job search actually today is happening on mobile apps, on people's phones, smartphones, and actually interviews are taking place on phones as well. So the way people are searching for jobs and interacting with potential jobs is very, is very different uh, today. And that increased transparency I talked about before, we think is a catalyst. So more information, reviews, and transparency is going to drive some of that change. And broadly, when you think about the labor markets, so tight labor markets, it was tight before the, before, uh, the pandemic. And it's today, it, it remains very tight as well. And we expect that to be a catalyst or a trend that continues and the need to lower the cost. We think that's a trend that's going to drive our, our business forward. And lastly, we're evolving our pricing model. And this is something I, I haven't talked about yet, but we are trying to evolve our pricing model to align more closely to what the employer wants and the outcomes they're looking for. So we think that, and that's a hire. Like people come to Indeed, they post a job. Why? Because they want to ultimately make a hire. And we want to be able to always deliver value for every dollar they're spending with us. And that actually that, that value or that mentality forces us to improve our product and continue to make things better and always make sure that we're delivering that value and having good outcomes or positive outcomes for our clients and for job seekers. So it's early days, but we think that will continue to be a catalyst to drive our business forward. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.